So I'm asking you to turn to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to continue. Uh, this may seem a little odd that I've asked you to turn to Romans, and then I'm going to say that we're continuing our study of the book of Exodus, but it is true. We uh, are continuing to look at what the book of Exodus describes about how God liberated his people from bondage. And we've talked about how God wants to wade into the circumstances of our lives, uh, enslavements, our lives, bondages, and bring liberty, break the back of that bondage and bring liberty to our lives. But as God did so with the children of Israel, and they walked out of slavery in Egypt as a free people and began their journey toward the promised land, God led them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, through Moses, God gave them the Ten Commandments. And we began two weeks ago, and we'll continue for the next few weeks to talk about the Ten Commandments. How many of you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? What's wrong with the rest of you? Come on. Ten Commandments? Wow. And um, the Ten Commandments are often thought of as a, a lot of do's and don'ts. And I'm sure it's true of people everywhere, but certainly true of Americans, that we don't like rules. In fact, our country was born out of a rebellion. So when somebody says don't, that's usually the first thing we want to do, right? And um, so we have a little trouble with, sometimes, uh, the Ten Commandments. But... I remember when I was a kid in about third grade, so that would have made me about eight years old, I went to a school where the, the recess field, the play field, was at an elevation below the street level. And so there was a slope down from the street down to where the playing field was, and that slope was covered with ice plant. You guys know what ice plant is? Really? You don't know? Okay, some of you. All right. Anyway... It's, uh, I, I was told when I first went to that school, you don't climb on the ice plant. So what's the first thing I want to do? <laughs> I want to climb the ice plant. And so I do. I'm climbing up there and having a good old time as eight-year-old boys can until I started to slip and slide on the ice plant and this hand right here caught on a piece of glass. I still have a two-inch scar right there. And I realized all of a sudden, oh, that's why they didn't want me to climb on the ice plant. Some of us discover a little bit too late that God, when he gave us the Ten Commandments that he thought were so important that he, the maker of all things, carved them into stone, not once, but twice. Sometimes we come a little bit too late to the realization that he did so for us for our well-being, not only for our safety, but for the release of all that he intended for our lives to be and to experience. The Ten Commandments, I like to refer to them as the Compassionate Commandments because they speak to us about the love of God. And uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we were going to learn the Ten Commandments using the Ten Fingers uh, on our hand because I figure if God thought these were important enough to carve in stone, it might be good for us to kind of carve them onto our fingers, right? So we always have them and we can be reminded of them. And I told you that the first commandment, which you talked about a couple of weeks ago, that had to do with devotion, it is, you shall have no other gods before me. I said, close your left eye, look at one of these lights with your right, and then take your right thumb and block out that light. And that reminds us, don't put anything before God. 
The second commandment is don't make any carved image. Don't make for yourself a carved image. And I want you to remember that by holding up the index finger on your right hand and imagining a face having been carved on there like a totem pole. Some of you have seen that. Imagine that there to remind you that we don't make carved images, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and it really is the subject of faith, as you'll see. I won't go through the rest of them right now, but before we're done, you're going to have them on your, on your uh, ten fingers of your two hands. The third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth commandment is, remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. The fifth commandment is, honor your father and mother. The sixth commandment is, you shall not kill. The seventh is you shall not commit adultery. The eighth is you shall not steal. The ninth is you sh uh, don't bear false witness. And the tenth commandment is uh, you shall not covet. Don't covet. These are the compassionate commandments from a loving God to us. And we're going to begin to deal with number two today um, that, as I already said, has to do with faith. Don't make for yourself any carved image. I asked you to turn to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. Nobody likes to hear that God's upset, right? I mean, when God's upset, things, <laughs> yeah. But listen close. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, that means things that are not as God intended, and unrighteousness, that means unrightness of men. Have you ever come to a point where you just, you just got so tired of the injustice, uh, excuse me, the injustice of a situation or the fact that something just wasn't right and you put your foot down finally and said, wait a minute, this is not right. God is like that in this passage. God is worked up. It's, what it's when it says the wrath of God. We're not just talking about some angry, fiery God in heavens who's just looking for somebody to, to turn loose on. We're talking about a God who has become passionately engaged, uh, who is worked up about the fact that life is not as he intended for us to be. And it says that this is because what may, verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. That means God has revealed himself to us. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. You just take a look around and you see God's fingerprints on everything. It says, even his invisible attributes are on display around us. God is not hiding from us. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, us, we, are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, oh, we think we are so stinking smart. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And listen, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. God has 
not hiding from us. He has revealed himself to us. And the reason that things are not as he intended, the reason that this world is corrupt in so many ways is because we have refused to see God for who he is and we want to make him in the image that we want for him to bear. Let's talk about that today. Why God says don't make for yourselves a carved image. We have already been through this, but I'll just repeat. Things are not in this world as he intended. And that's because we are refusing to acknowledge who he is in the way that he has revealed himself. We deliberately ignore what's true about him because we want to create an image for God that suits us. A woman came to me one time and she just, you know, there was no, you know, the Bible says that, that even God acknowledges that when there's adultery or the breaking of the trust fabric in a marriage that sometimes there can be no recovery. The wound is just so deep. And, and you know, there's an abandonment, the Bible says, is another uh, grounds for a person to uh, have divorce. Now, I'm, so if you're a divorced person here today or know someone who is, this is not a judgment about that. I'm talking about a woman where none of that was true. She just didn't like the man she was married to. And so she came to me one day and she said, you know, God told me I could leave my husband. And she was painting a face on God that suited her, that gave her permission to do what she wanted to do. And more, more than we want to acknowledge, we are guilty of that. One of the things I am most ashamed of in my life occurred shortly after Sue and I were married. We were married at just 19, believe it or not. And, and I uh, was not prepared to step into the role of being the head of a household. I didn't want to go to work every day. I didn't want to live under a budget. Come on, I'm 19. And... Uh, so I started hunting around in the scriptures and I found this verse that says, my God, it's in the book of Philippians. If you, I probably shouldn't tell you because you might do what I just did. It says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. I thought, yes. God will supply my needs. I don't got to worry about it. My God will supply my needs. And then I found another verse that says, we live by our walk by faith, not by sight. All right, I can look in my checkbook and the balance is minus $200 or whatever it says there. And I don't have to live by what I see. I, I live by faith, not by sight. I'm good. And so I just started writing bad checks all over town. I was painting a face on God to justify behavior I wanted to indulge in. Know anybody who's ever done that? And worse, I was using God's word to do it. This is what we do. We want God to be the way we want him to be. We want him to be definable. 
Now the Bible gives us, as we just talked about, God has revealed himself to us. And the Bible tells us very specific things about what God is like and who he is. In fact, yesterday my wife quoted at the Legacy Conference, and by the way, it was an amazing weekend. Thank you, Arnie and Trish and Zoe and everybody else who helped put that on. But she quoted uh, where the Bible says God is love. Pretty plain and uh, statement about what God is like. God is love. But dear ones, that's not all he is. You cannot capture in any sentence or any multiple sentences all that God is. We want to narrowly define God so he'll stay put right there and just, you know, be what we think he should be. We want him to be definable. God is asking us to believe in him for who he is, not what we want him to be. You know, we have this kind of human tendency to, um, uh, to, to make an image of, a, of someone in our minds. Let me, let me give you, a, for instance, you know, I'm reading a book on the Lewis and Clark expedition right now. Some of you would know that that was a major event in American history. And uh, the leader of that expedition was a guy named Meriwether Lewis. I've never seen a picture of him or a painting of him. I think there's some that exist, but I've never seen any. I've just read the, some of his journal entries and, uh, in this book that, that I'm reading about the exploration. And based on his words, I can't help it. I have a picture in my mind of what he must look like. If you've ever had a phone call with a customer service representative in India or wherever they are, you know, and, and you're frustrated maybe or whatever, you picture in your mind what that person must look like. And you know this. Every time you do that and then you have the follow-up occasion to actually see a picture of them or meet the person in person, it's never like you think it will be. They would never look like you think they'll look like. But we almost can't help ourselves. We have this human tendency to want to picture what people look like. And, but that works against us with God. There is no image, no picture you can fashion in your mind or heart about God that's sufficient. So everything you imagine about him will be less than all that he is. So when we do that, our, it's our tendency to just kind of define him so he'll you know, kind of stay put. We want him to be predictable. We don't like this stuff when he just kind of starts doing things we didn't expect. But you've probably figured out that that happens a lot. Because, not, not because we have a God who wants to mess with us, but because he's bigger than the little box we want to put him in. We want him to be predictable. We want him to be Obedient. We want him to say and do what we want him to say and do. This passage also makes it clear that, as I said, any face that we paint on God will portray him as less than he is. I guess I'm behind on my slides again. It will portray him as marginalized. A lot of us, you know, we, we don't uh, realize it, but let me just say what's often true for us, that we have marked off a little place on the margins of our life where God sort of occupies that spot of our Sunday buddy. 
And, and that's where we want him to stay. Until things are going south in our lives. Then you don't want, you don't need a marginalized Sunday buddy. You need the king of kings. The problem is that you've created a, a, a face on God that doesn't allow him to be that in your life. You don't need Sunday buddy. You don't need a God who's been stripped of his power because you're afraid of what he might say or do or call you to. You need 24-7, 365, a God who is God, who can handle and take on anything in your life. And that's why God says, don't limit my work in your life by painting a face on me. By trying to define me so narrowly. Verse 16 of chapter 1 of Romans says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Hallelujah. That'd be a good place for an amen or something. Amen. Now, the gospel is uh, a very specific thing. The gospel is the fact that I am a sinner in need of salvation, God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin so, and yours so that we might be forgiven and have relationship restored with him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. But it's also a term that encompasses all of the scripture because the Bible from Genesis 1 to the whatever the last chapter of Revelation is, in between all of it, is the good news of a God who is saving us from our sin. And it says here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, in what? The gospel. The gospel. In it, the gospel. In the gospel. The righteousness of God, the rightness of God, who he is, what he's like, is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, is about faith. It's putting our faith in a God we can't see and don't want to limit by trying to make an image for him that he isn't crafting for himself. And it says the gospel, the word of God, is what defines for us who he is. And that we discover that from faith to faith. When we let God be God, we find that he is, he is glorious, beyond comprehension. God is using the gospel to reveal a true self-portrait. And we discover that he is glorious beyond comprehension. And that this glory is embraced or assimilated or captured incrementally by faith, from faith to faith. Well, what does that mean? Most of us in the room have come to the point where we have had this encounter. Someone has shared with us the gospel. Or we've been in a church meeting or, or been out on a mountaintop somewhere and God has just spoken to us about his amazing love for us. And we've, all of a sudden, the thought has captured us. Oh my. You mean that the God who made all things knows me 
and loves me so much that he was unwilling to spend eternity without me and sent his son to pay the penalty for my sin by dying a cruel and horrific death on a cross to shed his blood so that my life, my heart, my sin could be cleansed so that I could be a child of God. Do you mean that, I'm, that that's true? And, and we've come to this place where we've wrestled that to the ground and said, wait a minute. I cannot go one more step without planting my life on that truth. And so we take this step of faith that says, I believe in that amazing grace. And it starts to transform your life. That one little step starts to begin to unravel all kinds of garbage that once controlled me and begin to release me into God's plans for my life and we begin to move along in that course of amazing relationship with the Lord and then we'll encounter something like where it says in the Bible that God has separated my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. That God has chosen, it says, to remember my sin no more. This God who knows everything has decided he will not remember my sin and you, you encounter this truth and you go, wait a minute, you can't be that good. How is it possible that you love me that much that you would take my sin out of the picture, completely gone when you see me, you don't see me? You mean you don't remember? And all this shame and guilt that I drag around with me every day, you want to release from my life? You cannot be that good. But faith begins to rise in you and on the basis of the relationship that you've begun to have with him, you start to think, well, I believe. And you take another step of faith, from faith to faith, and you plant your weight on that truth and you start to experience the blessing, the freedom that comes from that. And on it goes, faith to faith, believing in the God who is. Turn now to one more scripture and I'll get you out of here. Uh, you Romans and then there's 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. God is using the gospel to reveal a true self-portrait. He is glorious beyond anything you could try to comprehend. And those truths about the magnitude of his love and grace are embraced incrementally and they are transformational. The transformation, they would transform you. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same, into the same image from glory to glory or faith to faith. It's the same thing by a process from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's what's being pictured there. It says that that the veil has been lifted. So we're actually beginning to see things for what they really are. And it's like we're looking in a mirror and seeing the reflection of this amazing, glorious God. And we're awestruck by the splendor of who he is. And then, all of a sudden, it starts to work its way into our thinking, oh my that's not a reflection of him. That's a reflection of me. 
I am being transformed into his image. Oh, my goodness. I, I See, we, we want to make God look like us. But God wants to help us to look more like him. That's why he said, don't make for yourselves a carved image. This is recording number 11151 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 29, 2015. This is the eighth message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Faith, 